Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. I'm Aaron Stump, and we are talking about linear logic as part of uh, looking at some topics in proof theory. And today I want to try to talk a little bit about how uh, the basic conjunction and disjunction operators that we're used to from regular old logic, how they get refined in linear logic. It's really pretty interesting stuff. And remember that in linear logic, we are restricting um, some structural rules that we talked about earlier, uh, weakening and contraction. Um, and, and these rules have the effect uh, when we restrict them, when we disallow them in general, um, we're basically saying that assumptions that we are making in our proofs must be used exactly once. Weakening would say you, you don't have to use them. You could use them zero times. Contraction says you can duplicate them. You could use them more than once. So when linear logic says no weakening, no contraction, it's, um, it's banning, it's, it's requiring you to use your assumptions exactly once. So you have a set of assumptions, it's like a set of puzzle pieces, and you must use every piece exactly once to make something. So it has a really, um, it feels even more constructive than constructive logic in some ways, right? Because we have, like, the, the assumptions I have really, yes, because I have to use them exactly once. It's kind of more like a physical thing that, I mean, I can't just, you know, magically make it, you know, copy it many times. It's like I've got this physical object. So, um, <clears throat> so let's talk a little bit about um, conjunction and disjunction, as I was saying. And uh, uh, the key idea in linear logic is when we take an inference rule that we might, and we're going to talk about sequent calculus formulations, we take a sequent calculus rule um, from just say like intuitionistic logic or classical logic, you know, from the conclusion to the premises, uh, usually you just see that the, the, um, the context, like the set of assumptions, or the, you know, if you have a multi-succedent system, that is you can have assumptions and then multiple different conclusions for each sequent, um, the, uh, usually these things are just all kind of retained moving from premises to conclusion of your rule. So like, if you're trying to prove A and B, let's just think intuitionistic logic for a minute. You've got a set of assumptions, you're trying to prove A and B. Um, what you do is you say, with my assumptions, I prove A, and separately from my same set of assumptions, I prove B. Okay? Um, <clears throat> Now, there's a different way you can set this up, which is actually equivalent in classical and intuitionistic logic because of the structure rules. Instead, what you could say is, well, if I want to prove A and B, um, I'm going to use some of my assumptions to prove A, and I'll use the rest of the assumptions to prove B. So I'll split my assumptions. Again, we're thinking about reading the rules bottom up, um, but this is just kind of like how I might think to use the rule. I mean, the rule just, when I have a set of rules, I'm just talking about um, I'm using them to define a set of proofs or derivations that are legal, you know, but as I think about how to construct one of those derivations, a lot of times it's helpful to think about using the rules bottom up because the rules tell you, you know, if you want to prove a conjunction, A and B, then you should go off and prove A and you should also go off and prove B. And yeah, so anyway, in, in intuitionistic logic, you could make your assumptions be context splitting like this or context sharing, and it would make no difference because the structural rules kind of, you can show that those two ways of doing things are equivalent. Interestingly, though, in linear logic, once you say, you know, bye-bye structural rules, 
at least no more contraction and weakening. We still have exchange. There are some logics that disallow exchange where you can switch the order of your assumptions. Um, I remember that Frank Fenning had some work at some point about like an ordered linear logic or something like this. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I mean, that's, that's rather exotic. So, but here we're just talking about contraction and weakening. Um, once we get rid of those, then splitting your assumptions or sharing your assumptions comes, becomes a very, very different matter. Those are not equivalent. Okay, and so based on that idea, you can sort of start to see how conjunction get, can get refined now. It's like, I, if basically you just look at your connectives, like you look at conjunction, disjunction, implication, and you think about having context sharing or context splitting forms of the rules. I hope I have this terminology right about sharing and splitting. I mean, context sharing, we're basically meaning that the, the context is, is retained. If we have several different premises, we just have the same context there. And context splitting, you have to kind of break your context up into subcontexts, and then you use those in your premises. And, and again, it doesn't, in intuitionistic and classical logic, this is equivalent. But in linear logic, it is not equivalent. So, and for semantic reasons, which I couldn't begin to tell you about now because I don't know them, so, um, they're supposedly due to the way semantics were get, was given, I believe, by Girard for this logic. Um, the, the terminology multiplicative and additive is used when you want to talk about the context splitting versus the context sharing formulations of rules. So the context splitting conjunction is called the multiplicative conjunction. It's written as a tensor. Again, this is like due to some semantic stuff that I, I do not know, so sadly cannot share with you. Um, so, but, you know, okay, the semantic side part, um, we can understand the rules, you know, perfectly straightforwardly just from the formalistic perspective. So, uh, multiplicative conjunction, um, yeah, again, written tensor, it's like a circle with an X in it. Uh, it says to prove A and B from some set of resources to use this kind of view of uh, what linear logic is about, what you need to do is split your resources and use some of the resources to prove A and the rest of the resources to prove B. But yeah, again, I'm reading the rule bottom up because it's kind of gives some intuition for sort of how I feel like it's, it, I, I understand better how to give some intuition based on, on this view of it. So, okay, so that's the multiplicative conjunction. Split your resources, prove A and prove B, then you've proven A tensor B. That's a multiplicative conjunction, multiplicatively conjoined with B. Okay, now what about the additive one? Okay, so additive conjunction, it's, again, just, it's, this can all be sort of worked out completely mechanically once you understand the sort of formalistic idea that we're going to have context splitting or context sharing rules. Additive means context sharing. So that means to prove um, A with B, and they use uh, ampersand, is that what that thing is? I'm sorry, the thing that looks like a, you used to write and sometimes. So um, this is pronounced with, I understand. So to prove A with B from a set of resources, you show that using all those resources, you can prove A. And additionally and separately from that, you show that using all those resources, you can prove B. Okay. So again, the, um, you know, additive conjunction called with, we're sharing, the, we're, the resources are, sh are shared across these two 
derivations, we use the same resources. And for multiplicative, we split the resources. Okay, so intuitively, if I have something of type A tensor B, you know, that's A multiplicatively conjoined with B, it's really telling me I have two things. I've got an A thing and a B thing. Um, and so to create such a thing, that means I need to use some of my resources are going to go to make the A, some of my resources are going to go to make the B. So that's pretty intuitive, and it feels kind of like a, you know, a traditional pair. It's like I've got two things here. Um, now, what about the with guy, though? What's the sort of intuition for that? Um, a with B, uh, I'm showing that um, I can make... Uh, I could use all my resources to make an A, or I could use all my resources to make a B. Uh, so in a sense, it's kind of showing that I could have... I could have both of them, but sort of not at the same time. If you want the A, you can have it. If you want the B, you can have it. But you can't have them both because I needed to use all my resources to make the A, and I similarly would have to use all my resources to make the B. So it's kind of like a, I don't know, it's sort of like a guarantee that, you know, if I have something of type A and B, it says you can have the A if you want, or you can have the B if you want. You have, the, you have a choice of either one. I mean, either sort of has a sort of disjunctive sound to it, but you really should think about it. It's like you have the power um, to have both an A by itself and a B by itself if you want. You can't have them at the same time. Um, now, what about the disjunctions? Uh, the additive disjunction um, feels more like just a regular old disjunction from intuitionistic and classical logic. It's like, I've been focusing on right rules, partly because I'm almost home. I don't think I have time to go through everything here of this. But um, to, prove, to prove something of type A, and uh, I forget how they read this. It's, uh, the notation is like a circle with a plus in it. And to prove one of these, like if I used my resources, if using all my resources I can make an A, then I can make an A plus B. Sorry, I forgot how we're supposed to say that plus. Maybe just or? <laughs> I don't know what they call it. Um, and similarly, if using all my resources, I can make a B, then I can make an A or a B. So if you have something of type A circle plus B, it means you've got something that uh, you don't know if it's an A or a B. Because the person who's giving it to you could have used all the resources to make an A, and then that's what you have. Or they could have used all the resources to make a B, and then that's what you have. Okay, this leaves me as I pull into my garage with the <laughs> um, unenviable challenge of briefly explaining um, the multiplicative disjunction. Uh, oh man, okay, I punt. I'm sorry. I don't think I can do it. Um, but I'll pick that up again in the next meeting. I, that's, that's like, the tutorials I've seen are all kind of like, oh, everything makes pretty good sense, except, boy, it's really confusing to try to understand what multiplicative disjunction is all about. And um, I made some progress. I feel like it's not so crazy. Um, so I'll, I'll try to tell you about that a little bit next time. All right. Thanks for listening in. I hope you're well wherever you are. Feel free to drop me an email. Um, just introduce yourself. Say hi. Ask me a question if you want. I really enjoy hearing from listeners. I mean, I enjoy so much that we're having a, a class right now, as you know, um, that's running. Uh, we're, we had two sessions. We have our third and final session. Talk about normalization of type theory. It's coming up, and uh, I'll, I'm going to publicize the, the notes we, we've generated for this when it's all kind of said and done. So I'm um, not recording the class for everybody's privacy, but um, you'll be able to see the notes that we worked on together. 
All right. Thanks again for listening. Have a good night.